Thank you for joining us for this chapel message from the campus of Columbia International University in Columbia, South Carolina. Our mission at CIU is to educate people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. Good morning, everybody. Before I go any farther, I just want to say I love Columbia International University. It was February of 1985, Yvonne and I flew down. Yvonne's here with me today. Next Thursday, 48 and a half years of marriage. Yeah. And we flew down and a student named John Crutchfield picked us up at the airport. He wasn't shaving yet. And he hasn't since. But over two or three days, we met, it seemed like everybody. We met students, we met faculty, we met administrative people, we met staff, we met just everybody on the campus. And through those two days of interviewing and, and going through all that, we realized, wow, there is such a fit here between what then Columbia Bible College, now CIU, stands for the core values, preparing world Christians to know him, to make him known, the core values, the authority of scripture, spirit-filled Christian life, world evangelization, prayer and faith, evangelical unity, and we just thought, you know, this is such a good fit, and we decided two things. One, if they offer me the position, I am going to take it, and two, I also had this sense, I'm not sure that this is just my first job. It could be my last what I mean by that is a lot of times the Lord takes you on different journeys, but you have five or six years here and then five or six years here, maybe 10 years here or different things. You're on the mission field for a while and then you come back and you're doing these things. But I'm so grateful to God that God gave me every time he had something new for me, it was here. And so whether I was a dean of some flavor or a faculty member, it was just so good to be here and to see the next generation then coming. Students that I remember meeting here and falling in love, they, they fell in love and then they got married and, and then a generation later, here come their children and people ask me, does that make you feel old? No, it makes me feel good. So very grateful to CIU and I'm honored to be here this morning. I want to challenge you graduates, really on behalf of the faculty. It's always dangerous to say, well, I speak on behalf of the faculty because we have a lot of different opinions as a faculty, but I believe I speak for the faculty this morning. And I wanna share two verses for you from the New Testament, from 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 and 15. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 and 15. Let me just give you a little bit of context, not very much. Paul wrote, uh, these letters to the Corinthians and in the one that we call the second letter uh, he wrote to this church in southern Greece and he wrote to them back in the 50s not the 1950s the 50s okay and he wrote to them and they had a lot of challenges and he addressed those in his first letter to them but in the second letter he talked a lot about his ministry and what drove him and Paul was really all in when it came to his following of Christ and his pursuit of Christ and the Great Commission. And here's what he wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 and 15. I find it interesting, by the way, this Old Testament guy, God gave me these as life verses. Go figure. For the love of Christ compels us because we have concluded this, that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all so that those who live might no longer live for themselves. 
but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Let me just unpack that a little bit. Paul says, for the love of Christ compels us. I believe he's talking here about Christ's love for him. When, when Paul understood what he had been and what Christ had done for him, it just compelled him. How could he do anything else but follow Jesus and fulfill his will, his calling, his purpose? How could he do anything else? There was no way. The love of Christ compels us because we've concluded this. One died for all. Paul understood that there was a moment in time where Jesus gave his life and died on a cross. He knew that. But then there's that, therefore all died. In some spiritual way that only the, the Lord himself can fully understand. We were there. We were there at Calvary, at Golgotha. And as Jesus died and took on our sin, that we were there participating, as it were, from a distance, thousands of years earlier, and our sins were there. And then Paul went on to say, and Jesus died for all so that those who live, well, who are those who live? Well, the people who died with him, the people who, uh, spiritually, the ones who, who then uh, live because they have come to a point in life where they understand, okay, we have a deep spiritual need, only God can meet it, but God has met it through Jesus who died in our place, and we repent of our sin, we place our faith in him, and we live. So Jesus died so that those who live, now catch this because very important, might no longer live for themselves but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. In other words, the focus of your life, graduates, should be on following him, on following Jesus wherever he leads, and your life should inspire others to do the same. I want to share with you, I said I was going to speak on behalf of the faculty, and I want to do that just briefly because over the years, we, the faculty, have put together some position papers. Uh, in our faculty guide, our faculty handbook, we have a section of ministry papers and over the years as different topics have come up, we have wrestled with them and we have come up with an official position statement on behalf of the faculty that then guide the faculty how we teach. And my second year here, my second year, we engaged our second core value, the authentic Christian life, the normal Christian life, the spirit-filled Christian life. We've called it a lot of different things, but the idea of God's spirit empowering us to live the life that he called us to live. And I just want to quote a little bit from that because this is when, as a second-year faculty member, I thought, oh, wow, oh, wow. This is really it. This is really what life is about. And here's what we said in our policy called is called the victorious Christian life, our heritage, our spiritual heritage. And we wrote, first of all, God's intention for his children is to live a life of consistent victory over temptation to choose sin and of consistent growth toward ever more Christ-like attitudes and behaviors. In other words, God desires us to live a life of consistent victory. Now, that's not perfect, but it's better than 5149. Okay, consistent means you're pretty much there. Consistent victory over temptation to choose sin and of consistent growth evermore of Christ-like attitudes and behavior. So God's desire is that each day of our lives, each week, each month, we become a little less like who we were before we met Jesus and a little more like Jesus day by day. God also intends, the document went on to say, that each believer visibly demonstrates a supernatural quality of ministry. Each believer should demonstrate a supernatural quality of ministry. In other words, there should be things going on in your life that can only be explained 
by the power of God. Only be explained by the presence of God. People should see your life and say, he can't be that good. And that's okay, that's okay. Because it is God in us accomplishing these things. And may God give you many opportunities where as you serve him, you just realize this is a God thing because it's way beyond me. Yeah. God also intends that we visibly demonstrate a supernatural quality of ministry. And then we went on to say this life is not limited to a special category of Christians. It's not for the super saints. It's not for the, just for the Apostle Paul and his people. But it's the normal biblical expectancy for every true believer. It's the normal expectancy. But the other side of that is it's available to you. You can have it. This is what God wants for you. Believers who continue in a relationship of faith in God, including both yieldedness and trust, can and will live such a life. Robertson McCookin was president when I became a faculty member here. And he shared with us many times, I believe, in chapel what his mother had taught him. She said, the secret to living the Christian life is in your own two hands. Y-I-E-L-D and T-R-U-S-T. You yield to Christ unconditionally as Lord of your life. And you trust in the Spirit's power to enable you to live the life that God has called you to live. Believers who continue in a relationship of yielding and trusting can and will live such a life. Here's the last sentence that really hit me. For students and graduates to live such a life is the single most important objective of Columbia's educational program. You get that? More than the courses, more than the degree, is that by God's grace we will raise up generation after generation after generation of people who yield and trust and display that supernatural quality of ministry and that's what we want. It's about knowing him. Knowing him deeply, intimately, surrendering to him, trusting him. That was 1987 and I've never forgotten that. For our graduates to live such a life is the single most important objective of our educational program. Skip ahead to 12 years later, 1999, and the undergrad faculty were wrestling with a, a topic because in the early 90s, we already had elementary education. We already had that, but we didn't have a lot of other marketplace ministry kind of majors. But in the early 90s, we started psychology, and then we started communication. And as we started these in the 90s, we started to wrestle with, as a college faculty, well, what does that mean? Do we have the so-called real majors, that is Bible, theology, uh, church ministry, and then these other majors, psychology, communication, or are they somehow all one? And we wrestled with it for a number of months to get the language just right, and we talked about it, and we looked at the passages in Scripture that talk about ministry and service in Jesus' name. And here are just a few highlights of what we said. Biblical ministry is service in the name of Christ. I need to put that in there because some of you don't think you're going into ministry, but you are. You are. Ministry in the biblical sense is service in the name of Christ. Now there is 
what we call professional ministers. I think that came originally from our chancellor, Dr. Jones. Professional ministers who serve more or less in the church, and then you have the ministering professionals who serve in the business community, for, for example. Uh, and, and these people are ministering, but they're ministering in their context. They're serving Jesus in their context through what they have studied and what their practices are. All ministry roles contribute to the great commission ministry of reconciliation to which God has called his people. Whether you are a professional minister or a ministering professional, you contribute to the fulfillment of the great commission. Second, the faculty said, we believe that all undergraduate majors should serve as a clear means to accomplish the great commission that those who are in them, in them, but those who teach them should be helping their students think through how might this apply to me as a Great Commission Christian. And then we said, we will challenge all our students to invest their lives in the most strategic manner possible to accomplish the Great Commission. And we will encourage all of our students to consider serving the Lord in a cross-cultural setting. You won't all get there, and some of you shouldn't get there because God calls you where you're going to go. But to make him known should be on your hearts as you go. What is my part? How do I, whatever I am, whether I am a one-year Bible certificate person today, all the way up through a doctoral degree, whatever it is, how do I use these tools I've received at CIU for the sake of the Great Commission? What can I do? I'm just one person. The consistent testimony of scripture is that God uses ordinary people. God uses ordinary people for extraordinary means when they surrender their life to his purpose. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we ask or even imagine. And so don't think because I'm one person this is all I can do. The consistent testimony of scripture is that God is able to do extraordinary things through ordinary people as you surrender your life to his purpose. Y-I-E-L-D, T-R-U-S-T, you know him and you make him known. So what do you do? You use your training, you use your discipline, you use your major, you use your new field of expertise as a Great Commission platform. How can I invest my life in the most strategic way to accomplish the Great Commission? Do that. Maybe some of you know what your next step is after today. Let me just say a word to those of you who don't. Maybe you think, well, after today, I don't know, I'm going to go home for a while, maybe I'll pay off some loans, maybe I'll, I don't know, I don't know. And seriously, you feel a bit discouraged because you look around and some of your classmates, they already have jobs, they're already set up, they're ready to go. And you've, as best you know, surrendered your life, you've yielded, you've trusted, and the job's not there, and the next step isn't obvious. If you've done the yield and trust thing, you're good. You're just waiting on your marching orders. And God is not ready to deploy you to that specific position that he has for you, so be patient. It can be tough when you look around and see others already moving to theirs. But that's in his timing for them, and it will be in his timing for you. 
Now, a possibility does exist, I have to say, that if you're not sure what the next step is, maybe you haven't surrendered and he's waiting on you to get there. That's a possibility. But don't be discouraged if you've surrendered your life and yet you're thinking, well, what's my next step? God will show you. He will not let you miss what he has for you. He will not. Graduates, invest your life in the most strategic way you can to accomplish the Great Commission. Get to know Christ deeply. Surrender to him as your Lord. If you haven't done so, do it now. And then figure out what's the way that you can invest your life in the most strategic manner possible to accomplish the Great Commission. Congratulations. We're proud of you. We hope you found this message a blessing to your life. More Columbia International University Chapel messages are available at iTunes and at podcast.ciu.edu. Learn more about CIU's undergraduate, seminary, and graduate programs at our website, ciu.edu. Columbia International University educates people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. Thank you for the opportunity to minister to you today.